Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast into the week of Sunday, August 1st, 2021, into the 10th week after Pentecost, the year of our Lord. And we're rolling right along in ordinary time. A few announcements before we get started. We will be on Zoom, obviously, August 1st, Sunday, 10 a.m. We'll be on Zoom the next Sunday. Everything will be normal and chill for that week, August 8th. And then we will be back in person at Mission Hills at 10 a.m. on August 15th. Kelly will be leading our conversation. We will also be uh, mini-golfing this week, August 4th. Wednesday night at 7 p.m. in Sherman Oaks. So all of that information is on social media. And as always, you can always DM us there or send us a text or an email, of course. Okay, so I think that's all the announcements for the week. We are in John chapter 6, starting in verse 22 this week and going through verse 35. The next day, the crowd was left behind, that was left behind, realized that there had only been one boat and that Jesus had gotten into it with his disciples. They'd seen them go off without them. By now, boats from Tiberias had pulled up where they had eaten the bread blessed by the master. So when the crowd realized that he was gone and wasn't coming back, they piled into Tiberius's boats and headed for Capernaum, looking for Jesus. And when they found him back across the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he answered, you've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you and filled your stomachs in for free. Don't waste your energy striving for perishable food like that. Work for the food that sticks with you, food that nourishes your lasting life, food the Son of Man provides. He and what he does are guaranteed by God the Father to last. To that they said, well, what do we do to get in on God's works? Jesus said, throw your lot in with the one that God sent. That kind of commitment gets you in on God's works. They waffled. Uh, Why don't you give us a clue about who you are, just a hint of what's going on? When we see what's up, then we'll commit ourselves. Show us what you can do. Moses fed our ancestors with bread in the desert. It says so in the scriptures. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus responded, The real significance of that scripture is not that Moses gave you the bread from heaven, but that my Father is right now offering you bread from heaven, real bread. The bread of God came down from heaven, is giving life to the world. They jumped at that. Master, give us this bread now and forever. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more and thirsts no more ever. The word of the Lord. All right, this Sunday, I want us to think about how we receive, how we receive. Last week at Garden Day, we did a little meditation uh, before we got started, and the primary focus of that meditation was to, to walk around the garden and to walk around the church, noticing our impulse to to change things. And that impulse is, is probably different for all of us. Uh, you know, for me, it's it's looking at a space and thinking, oh, how, how could I improve this space? So as I was going around, uh, I am constantly in my mind uh, go, reverting back to, oh, this, this would look good here, or how, how could I improve this space? And then returning to the focus of the meditation is just to, to watch that impulse and then to instead be grateful for 
what a space is in the present. So that was kind of the idea and the focus of the meditation is to notice our impulse uh, to want to change things, to want to alter. And we do this in our lives all the time. We, we're in a, we live in a culture that is constantly obsessed with uh, self-improvement and even in a good way, improving uh, you know, the nature of our communal life together, our politics, those kinds of things. And you know, this, this meditation is actually designed for us to observe ourselves in our compulsions to live from instinctual response states of being busy, working hard, uh, giving of ourselves, volunteering. And when we do this, we're sleepwalking through much of our lives because we are not attentive to the gifts of the present. Why do we have such a difficult time with receiving? As Meister Eckhart said, if the only prayer we ever said was thank you, that would be enough. And I think we think this way because we are so entrenched in a culture that is in desperate need for liberation. Uh, it's funny that in a culture that considers itself uh, obsessed with freedom, no one actually has it. And I would say that the, the Western church and Western culture broadly, it's, it's an evolution of industrial thinking. And Christianity is permeated with a mindset of colonialism and, and liberal progress uh, and has never been uh, an institution of liberation. We think of liberation theologies uh, coming from the global South. We think of black liberation theology, but the church in the West is broadly a reflection of society, which is driven by a consumer capitalist perspective on reality, which is dictated by a market economy. Uh, there was a great, and we just, we just, we just think this way. I mean, we are so influenced by the forces around us. There was a great interview on a New York Times podcast last week about the housing crisis in metropolitan American cities and how there's an entrenchment we have as a society into a system of building wealth by buying property that is solely based on whether an individual can purchase a home. And then that perpetuates the need for everyone in society to protect that asset, uh, the only asset that most people have of gener generational wealth building. Uh, they have to protect, we have to protect it at all costs, which leads to all kinds of infrastructural issues at the city and state and federal level because of the literally the way that we have designed our cities and American life for decades. So these things that we, all that to say is that the things that we think and sort of take as um, normal operational um, American life actually um, blind us from our ability to, um, to receive, to accept gifts in the present. And so our, our lives operate at the uh, egoic level, both individually and collectively, because we are focused on uh, success and security rather than community and solidarity. Uh, I, I really don't think that you can have both. We cannot be a security and success-driven culture and also prioritize the needs of the marginalized and the, and the oppressed and the communal at the same time. Uh, you know, even in the context of progressive Christianity, I think we know and have talked about that one of the best ways to avoid God is actually by doing good works for God, right? We think of reading the right books, volunteering for the right causes, 
listening to uh, certain podcasts, not watching Fox News, whatever it is. Uh, we are usually too caught up in building our ego identities that we're not able to receive the gifts of the present moment. Uh, we, we have failed to understand the posture of surrender and the, the art of, what I would say is the art of letting go. Uh, to, to gain your life, you have to lose it. I mean, they're all of the ways that we read this in the Gospels. It's all over the Gospels. Uh, just I'm thinking of the parable of the man with the, the giant barn that he just keeps loading more and more of his crop into the barn. And then what happens? He, he's, he's not there the next day. Uh, we, this is American life, to load up our barns of ego, identity, security, safety. And when we're, when we're living in such a, a culture of this kind of entrenched mindset, and we realize that this is sort of the way that our, we view and sort of live in the world as well, we're, we're, we're like the, we're like the folks traveling to meet Jesus on the other side. We have all of these questions about what Jesus is doing, what he means, what he means for us, uh, whether or not we can be fed. We, even if we, you know, we harp on the evangelical church all the time, but, um, we, we are not, we are not talking about, uh, what can God give us. I mean, I follow a lot of terrible Instagram accounts uh, on evangelical Christianity, and so many of the sermons are about what God can give you. We're not talking about receiving in a self-fulfillment kind of way. Um, it is the way of the the no, uh, yet, yes, no, yes, uh, which I, maybe I'll, I'll explain later. It's the affirmation, the negation of the affirmation, and, or you could say, in a Peter Ron's way, the negation of the negation. Okay, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent there. Okay, so what I guess I'm getting at here, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, is that uh, we cannot experience, I guess, the abundant life or everlasting life or eternal life uh, that Jesus is referencing in this passage if we ourselves have not been liberated, and if we ourselves have not been the ones that... Uh, that are open to be on the receiving end. Uh, Walter Brueggemann has this quote where he says, be on the receiving end, be on the other end of the gift of life from the living God. It's counterintuitive in our society to receive. Indeed, it is un-American to notice the free gifts of God and the well-being of healing. Transformative possibilities are all around us. They come uh, to us because this is God's way of doing what the world judges to be impossible. Impossible that the orphan and widow will be cared for. Impossible that food will be given to the hungry. Impossible that justice will be given to the oppressed. And I think he's spot on in his assessment of our posture that it is almost impossible for us to be on the receiving end because l largely nothing in our society has emphasized or valued being somebody that uh, should receive free gifts. I mean, if anything, our society uh, maligns the people that uh, are on the receiving end of help. And when 
this story and the story of the feeding the 5,000 and all of the Gospels is usually talked about, uh, especially in progressive Christianity, it's almost as if like we're the ones that are supposed to then like go out and emulate Jesus. We're the ones that's supposed to go out and feed the 5,000. Like that is the mindset rather than we are the ones that are in constant need of being fed, that we are here on the receiving end of this story, listening to the story as the people that are so obsessed with their own ego-driven intent and purposes, uh, wanting to know who Jesus is, what he means. And the church has been so good at um, being obsessed with theology and right belief and uh, Bible study and even right practices, which are all great and fine. But those are way of building up who we are. And not only do we have um, these tendencies to sort of identify ourselves by all these things that we are and do, whether that's our job, our family, our work, whatever, you know, whatever. Uh, but we do this as a church collective too. And part of that is only natural. Part of that is just human. So we have a set of values and practices as a community. The, the problem comes, obviously, when we over-identify with all of those kinds of things. And we see this obsession in our culture all the time in different ways now, um, you know, even like I think about Instagram profiles, right? Like if you think about your Instagram bio, you've got like two lines to tell the world who you are. And so, you know, there's all of this, you know, there's this finite space and you are going to sum up your identity in that space. And I'm so holy that in my Instagram bio, there's, there's nothing there. And I, I did, I identify with not having any identification. So, you know, even self-denial can be as much of an ego trip as, uh, self-reliance or self-fulfillment. So we can get trapped up in these cycles of egoic self-identification. And there's so many ways that we take on the, the issues of our society and, it doesn't allow for the gospel to actually liberate us. Okay. And that is what uh, I would say Jesus's life, his message, his purpose in this story. Uh, it's all about liberation. It's about liberating people's hearts and minds from the ways that we over identify with everything in our lives. And like I said, we can over identify with not identifying. So, Story time. Okay, so we are a security-obsessed people. And I mentioned earlier that I don't think that we can be obsessed with security, success, money. Uh, all, all of these things offer security, houses, property, uh, keeping up a certain uh, standard of living. All of these uh, focuses, you know, our family lives are a way of doing this, uh, of building up these egoic identities of this is what our family means to us. This is what our church means to us. It's security obsession. And if you listen to any podcast, I guarantee you, you'll hear commercials about security systems. If you probably watch any TV show that if you, if you don't DVR everything, you see commercials about security systems. We, and we are, we are a security obsessed culture. So I preached, I don't know, a couple months ago, a sort of four ish whiny sermon on uh, my the problems in my life. And we had a bunch of break-ins at the church and it was a really difficult week, blah, blah, blah. I was giving my you know, sob story. And so we had to, 
we got a security system for the church. You know, we haven't had any issues since, but we had like five break-ins and we had somebody come around the parsonage and knock on all the doors and windows. And we watched somebody try to break in the house while we were in it. It was not a great experience. It's not a great situation. Since then, I've had a couple of other weird instances at the parsonage as well with people being around in the middle of the night. So, uh, so I live in this culture that, that is constantly feeding me advertisements on podcasts, commercial breaks, and social media about security systems. So I buy uh, a few cameras for the the parsonage, like a moron. And I post up these cameras around the parsonage. And this is the right thing to do. In our culture, this is like incredibly normal to do. So we have, you know, one of those video doorbell things. And we have this security you know, system that's all from the same company. Even though, even though I know that I am participating in a, t- a terrible system, like a terrible system of uh, the tech industry taking on the role of surveillance state. State, you know, we've we know from uh, reporting and from studies that these systems, these cameras, these, you know, I'm not going to say the name, but I almost did, but these doorbells, uh, there was an article in the LA times about how, uh, the Los Angeles police department was taking data from ring doorbells and using it for their own purposes. And they had this weird relationship where ring would, I said it ring. It's okay. Okay. So ring would give (laughs) doorbells to, uh, to cops in LA. And it was like a multi-level marketing scheme where cops would then also give doorbells out to people and talk about the benefits of doorbells. And these doorbells have no scientific proof that they deter crime, that they help in any kind of way. If anything, there's evidence that, that, that they lead to racial profiling in people watching uh, people in their neighborhoods through doorbells and making conclusions. And this largely negatively impla- impacts black and brown people in our society. And people are just racially profiling through their technology. And then these tech companies, there's not any, there's hardly any legislation or um, provisions that protect the data that these cameras pick up and send off to the cloud and could be used for any kind of nefarious purpose by law enforcement or these companies that have um, your actual visual data outside of your house and they're monitoring 24-7. What good does this do other than produce more anxiety of, I wonder who is outside my house? Like you could literally like see somebody, but I'm not really sure being able to see somebody is actually going to lead to actual any material improvements of life. But we take on this, right? Like I am... I'm part of this system that sort of takes on like, oh yeah, I need, because of this happening, this happening, this happening, uh, I need a security system or I need, I need a lock on, I need a lock on the gate. And so all this to say is how we pick up these messages of safety, security, um, keeping, uh, who we perceive to be, um, somebody that is dangerous in our neighborhood or society out. So yeah, at the end of the day, what, what is the difference between us with our doorbells and security cameras and a state that wants to 
have more and more technological surveillance at the border. I mean, we can talk a big game and scoff at the fact that Republican administrations, you know, want to erect a border wall across the southern border to keep out migrants and immigrants and refugees. Uh, but we don't have a lot to say about uh, technological advancements in the form of drones or whatever it else may be to automate the security to, to also keep out the people that uh, you know, our country says are bad or dangerous. Uh, how are we any different? And what I'm trying to get at is if we are so security obsessed, if we are so obsessed with, with building up our identities, our egos, our families, our properties, we're not a liberated people. And if Jesus is about liberation, if we're taking this passage seriously, that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And they give this great story in this text about uh, manna falling from heaven. And he's like, I'm, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, it's, this is it. Like you have the gift. And they're trying to they're trying to figure it out how they can use it for their own purposes, right? How They say like that line, how can we get in on God's works? And he's like, just trust. And again, I go back to that, that prayer from Meister Eckhart. If, if the only thing that we could ever pray is thank you, that would be enough. You know, are we able to break out of these cycles of success, security, building up our own empires, doing what we just think is, yeah, it's just the right thing to do. Like we just, we just need to do this, you know, the safe thing. Um, but it seems to me that Jesus doesn't really preach about security and safety. To find your life, you have to lose it. You have to give up the barn. You can't, you can't keep stockpiling the stuff. In order to live free, you have to, at some level, let go. Uh, we do this in all different kinds of ways, depending on the person. Some people, um, I saw Hoarders on, was on Netflix the other day. Some people collect a lot of stuff, you know. Some people are so um, over-identified with their family structure. They'll do anything for their family. Uh, there are so many great family shows that have come out in recent years that I think really show that our culture is wrestling with the nature of what it is to be a family. I mentioned a few weeks ago, the show succession on HBO's great show, all kinds of family dynamics and in the different ways that people in that family are trying to build up theirs with, with even uh, the competition within the family competition. I mean, the Olympics are right now. We are a competition driven society. I love the Olympics. And I remember even as a kid, you know, I'd run around in the backyard. I'd create all these obstacle courses. I'd have my USA shirt on and we, we identify, I mean, there's something really, um, human and, and true about the, the way it feels to identify with the USA. And we see the medal counts on TV and we feel like a sense of real pride that, you know, the USA is winning and that we've got all these medals and all these other countries. And that makes us feel some way. And this is not a, a path for spiritual freedom. And we don't see this way of thinking in the Gospels. And in this story, 
this group of people are, they're, they're doing much of the same type of thing in their own way. They're trying to figure out, they're trying to put Jesus in a box. Are you prophet? Are you king? Are you, uh, you miracle worker? Like, who are you? And how can we, how can we leverage this to our own benefit? And we, we do the same thing. We want to have the right, we want to have the right beliefs. We want to support the right causes. We want to change the world for good. But that kind of change only comes from a liberated self and being a liberated people. Um, Meister Eckhart, you know, talks often about a spirituality of subtraction, that there first has to be uh, this, this subtraction to then fall into the life of love. I mean, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, love God and love neighbor. But it's, it's a, you know, the spiritual life is all about paradox. You know, in order to love God, there has to be a letting go. And in, in order to love any, anybody or anything, there's innate invulnerability in that experience. It's not about self-denial. It's not about self-fulfillment. Love is and I, I love these I am statements in the Gospel of John when Jesus says, you know, I am the living water, I am the bread of life. It's, it's recognizing that the, that the temporal, that the, the, the material is also the eternal. It's like, I am, I am, I, I am here. Being itself is here. And if we want to take it back to the meditation, instead of trying to figure out all of these different things, what needs to change, what needs to go, um, we're there. We're, we are present with the I amness that all is. And I'm thinking about, um, the, the quote that all will be well, all will be well in all manner of things shall be well, that there is a great spiritual recognition within the Christian tradition, that grace, acceptance, being on the receiving end leads to a life of love, that the living bread is already present. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And I like this idea that it is from that deep kind of grace and acceptance, that real surrender, that is where we actually start to find our lives, that we start to let go of what Thomas Merton calls the false self, that we start to let go of our need to identify with our identities, our security systems that when we let these things go, when we start ruminating on the messages that we intake so much in our society, it's in that surrender that we find the kind of liberation that Jesus is talking about. All right, well, I think we will leave it there. Hopefully there's enough in that for some discussion. Okay, homework for this week, if you have HBO, Netflix, uh, 
Mayor of Easttown on HBO is really great. Obviously, Succession is uh, a really great show on HBO as well. Uh, thinking about uh, shows how family dynamics, <laughs> the extremes that people will go to protect their families. Uh, Ozark, obviously Breaking Bad's an old one, but Breaking Bad and uh, Outer Banks, which is a show that Lauren Norris' brother is actually a star in. So Outer Banks on Netflix, Ozark on Netflix, Breaking Bad, I think is still on Netflix. So if you haven't seen any of those shows, that's your uh, movie homework for the week. And as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well.